some of you came in with earmuffs on, and you will have a hard time hearing. So I want you to literally, with your physical hands, take them off of your head. I'm going to wait till you actually do it, all of you. Yep, I was waiting for you. Okay. <laughs> this guy's looking around going, they're actually doing what he told them to do. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, this message is for you, whether you like it or not, and you will like it. <clears throat> My dad sent me an email probably uh, three months ago where he said, I have such a hard time uh, thinking of God in a way where I'm in love with God. And my dad's, my dad's not like a super like manly guy where he's like, I can't be in love with God, that's for sissies. My, my dad's actually really creative um, and, and super sensitive. Um, not like sensitive, never mind. He's, he's a creative. He's like very artsy, he does crafts, he's retired, and all he does is like do craft projects and write things and all sorts of fun stuff. Um, but he, that's not how he connects with God. And so what I want to do tonight is actually help those of you who have had a hard time thinking of God in a romantic way. And I just want you to be friends with him and realize that you're already his friend. And friendship with God is just, just as valid as being in love with God and sitting in the prayer room and, oh, Jesus, I love you so much. Like, and that's fine. You can do that. But... There are, there are many different ways to be friends with God. Uh, friendship with God is really good. So I want to tonight uh, just simplify uh, our thinking about our friend. I want you to realize that you're friends with him. I'm going to try to make it less nebulous and unattainable and more real. In the New Testament, John uses this word, uh, fellowship. We've heard this. We have fellowship with light. We have fellowship with each other. It's actually, uh, it was used in two different ways in the, in the New Testament times in the first century one is a legal term uh where if somebody was uh, a partner with you and you were both 50 50 in uh, on starting this business uh if the business succeeded you both succeeded if you if it failed you both lost your however much money you put into it and so when you're in fellowship with somebody you are like your success is their success and their failure is your failure that's what fellowship with god is too it's also used medically where uh Siamese twins share the same bloodstream, where if one got sick, if one got cut, and, the, and their blood uh, got, got inf- infected, it would get into the bloodstream of the other Siamese twin, and they would both get sick. When we are in fellowship with God, his success is our success. His, well, our failure is his failure. He doesn't really fail. Um, love never fails, so that's good. It's a statement. When God says he wants to have fellowship with you, he is saying, what happens to you happens to me. I'm in this with you. And so he possessed us. He doesn't just know your thoughts from afar like Psalm 139.2 says. He knows your thoughts from inside of you. He, he does. He, he knows them from afar. He can be way far away if God could actually get far away from you, which Good luck with that with the omnipresent one. But if he could get far away from you, he, he would still know your thoughts and go, I know what you're thinking. That's a good thought. <laughs> but he also knows you from inside of you. There are two things that really build friendship or fellowship uh, with people and with God. 
And that's shared experience and secrets. In Psalm 25, 14, it says, The secrets of the Lord belong to those who fear him. Then Amos, uh, a couple hundred years later, says, God does nothing without telling his servants the prophets. That's Amos 3, 7. Then Jesus, hundreds of years after that, comes along and says, Well, disciples, this is John 15, 15, um, you're not my servants anymore. I'm going to call you friends. Put those three in a blender. The secrets of the Lord are for his friends. He tells the things of his hearts to, of his hearts? He's got one heart. He's not like a cow. <laughs> oh, that's more stomachs. What has more hearts? Valentine's Day has a lot of hearts. They had shared life with Jesus, and, and they had uh, actually been invited by the Messiah, prophesied by the entire Old Testament, into friendship with him that was closer and more intimate than the prophets. Not because they had had some swirly-whirly, awesome experience, but because they had smelled him and walked with him, gotten dirty with him, and hiked up mountains with him, and seen him cast out demons, and seen food get multiplied, and stolen money from him. And he called them friends, including Judas. Including Judas, the day and the very moment that he was betraying him. And Jesus doesn't, he doesn't, he's not being sarcastic in the morning. Oh, friend, are you coming to, to betray me? He really called him a friend. He meant it. He, he was showing his heart. But God gives us these uh, kind of cheat codes of life because we're his friends. Have you ever been walking around and doing life and then all of a sudden you have like an inclining or a pulling towards something and you're like, I don't know why I feel like I should do this, but I'm going to do it. And you realize after years of doing that, that's the Lord giving you divine cheat codes. That's what words of knowledge are. That's what words of wisdom are. God's into cheating. In life. In life, not in marriage. He does that through through dreams. I didn't want to get quoted wrong on YouTube or anything. God loves cheating. No. Uh, he does that through dreams and signs and wonders and miracles. I have dreams on here twice. Dreams and signs and wonders and dreams. Apparently dreams are really important in, in my note-taking. But we get caught up in this attempting to be faithful so often that we forget that we were meant to actually be with him. When Jesus called the 12 in Mark 3, it didn't say, and he called them so that they could be apostles. In, in the gospel, Mark is the shortest of the, of the four gospels, and it uses this word euthus over and over and over again. It's the fast-paced gospel. Euthus means uh, then, immediately, immediately then, and then, and then. It's, it's rapid-fire gospel. But it took the time, uh, Mark took the time to put in there, in Mark 3.14, that he called them to be with him and then to go and preach the gospel. Your primary purpose is not to go do your stuff and have this, uh, this, have faithfulness to your calling. Your primary calling is to be friends with God and to be with him. Thank you. 
I thought so too. Far too often we turn our calling into a new set of, of rules or a law for our own life as if this special law was designed for us. You have this calling. And so I even used to think that the, because I have such a high calling that I have a, a special set of rules just for my life. You can't do this. This isn't ever going to happen to you. This is the, 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 God's going to limit me because I've got such a high calling. Has anybody else ever thought that? You're going to go, wait. Does God require more of those who lead? Yes, kind of. Luke 12, 48 says, of those who are given much, much is required. Who thought of that verse as soon as I said that? They're like, yeah. Oh, yeah? I hear you. I heard you from afar at Starbucks a few hours ago (laughs) thinking those thoughts. And so I put it in my notes. This is what God requires of you. This is from before Jesus got on the scene physically. Micah 6.8 says that God requires three things of you. Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly with God. Is there action involved? Yeah, do justice. Is there heart response involved? Yeah, love mercy. But primarily, he wants you to walk with him. Just be with him. How many EJS, uh, EJS graduates do we have in the, in the house right now? Okay. Finish this statement, which I say all the time. You are a human being. You're a human being, not a human doing. You know you've got them when they can finish your sermons. You are meant to be, not to do. Friends don't give orders. Friends give life. Friends don't give orders. Friends give life. Think about a friendship that involves rules. If you've got a friendship with somebody and they're like, hey, we can be friends, but we can only hang out on Thursdays, Fridays, and every other Saturday. Uh, I'm kind of busy the rest of the time. I don't really enjoy being around you that time. I've got better things to do. Don't call me between 3 a.m. and 7 a.m. Uh, and they've got all these rules, and don't talk to me like that. Friendship that involves rules is immature. True friendship actually brings freedom because you can actually be yourself fully. Turn in your iPhones, Androids, or analog Bibles to John 14. Old school. Tweet that. So I say that friendship uh, that involves rules is immature, and probably some of you who know your Bible real well went, wait, what about John 14, 15, and 23, which says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And verse 23 says, and Jesus said to them, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our abode with him. Sounds like Jesus is kind of putting some rules on his friendship. Vince, why are you picking apart your own sermon? Because that is not what he's talking about. He's, this, these are examples in John 14 of him having good communication in his friendship. Communicating well of how this is. He was actually giving a cheat code in that moment. He's saying, hey, if you, wanna, if you really want things to explode in your life, and you want the father, the creator, the emperor of existence, to be your friend, do what I say. 
Jesus explains how we can actually grow in our relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he's doing there. He's not, put, he's not setting up a bunch of rules because rules don't actually help. Our behavior will actually change because of our friendship with God. That is true. But it's not because he made more rules for us. It's because we want to be close to him. Let's say there was somebody you met at some point and you, you said, I really want to be their friend. And then you found out that they don't speak English. But it was burning inside of you to be their friend, you're like, I've heard so much about them. What are you going to go do? You're going to learn their language. You are going to change your life so that you can get to them. Let's say you fall in love with somebody who lives three time zones away. What are you going to do? You're going to move. <laughs> because love does crazy things to us. Friendship draws us into a relationship, and you will change. Not because the other person requires it of you, but because you require it of yourself because of your love for them. It's the same way with people. People are our barometers for relationship with God. If you want to know how you're doing with God and how you treat God, look at how you treat everybody around you. Come on, Vince, give me some scripture to back that up. Okay. What about the golden rule in Matthew 7? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. 1 John 4.20, John confidently states that you can't claim to love God if you don't act out your love towards other people. In fact, he goes as far to say that you're actually displaying hatred if you're, towards God if you're hating on other people. What about Matthew 25 where he says, whatever you do to others, you do to me. Whatever you do to the least of these. Whatever you do, however you treat that person that is least important in your life, that's how you treat me, Jesus said. How do you treat the gas station attendant? How do you treat that coworker that really... <clears throat> grr. Hashtag grr. What you do to other people is what you do to Jesus. People are our barometer. But rules do not create intimacy. Actually, rules are made to facilitate growth. Remember, I, I didn't say that, uh, that relationship was the actual statement I said. Friendship with, with, uh, that involves rules is immature. I did not say that it's evil. It's just immature. Rules actually facilitate growth. Galatians 3, 23 and following, Paul explains that the, the law was actually set up for the immature until the appointed time of the Father when we could actually walk into true fellowship with God. The law put like these barriers. Okay, don't go outside of this side and this side, and you're going to get to this place where all of a sudden everything becomes permissible, but then you're going to have the maturity in friendship with God that you know when something isn't beneficial. First John 4.18, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love or not mature in, in their love. 
Why does fear involve punishment? Punishment is the result of, of the breaking of a rule. Someone can't punish you for something that wasn't, that you haven't done some infraction upon a rule that they set up and that they hold as important. You see what I'm saying? You're tracking? So I can, if, if you are under my leadership, like at EJS, and I say, you cannot speak for the rest of this week, and you speak, then I can punish you because I have a rule and you're under that rule. We don't do things like that. That's weird. <laughs> Just an example. But we might do that next semester. <laughs> punishment is the result of the breaking of a rule. You, ha- you only have fear if you think you are going to be punished for an action that you do. That's why when John says this, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves punishment. Punishment creates fear because you're you're waiting for the axe to fall oh i broke a rule do you know what religion actually means we talk about the religious spirit we talk about this all all this stuff you break it down it it comes from it basically means fearfully demonized religion is a demon of fear religion is relating to god based on fear as if he is waiting to punish you Instead of bless you. As if he's looking at your actions and going, ooh, don't, don't do that. Ooh, Michael, get the big one. <sighs> Gabriel, you know what to do. <clears throat> That's not what God is like. He's the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He is not the punisher of those who do little things barely wrong. (laughs) Don't you, have you ever heard somebody say, partial obedience is disobedience? That's my religious voice. (laughs) It's so dumb to think like that about God because he's not like that. God is looking to bless you. Relating to God based on fear is, of his retaliation for your actions is religion. It is fear-based. It is immaturity. And John says that the one who fears is not matured by his love because he first loved us. We have to receive his love. And when you realize that his love for you can actually cast out that fear and you make the connection, you'll go, he casts out fear because fear involves punishment. He's already taken care of the punishment for sin. And so therefore his, his entire existence or your entire existence as relates to him is done with punishment and it's now blessing based it's reward based god is now now that he has wiped away the punishment for sin he is now searching for people whom he can fully support not those he can fully condemn now i'm not saying that we should get rid of the fear of the lord I know you were thinking that. I am saying that we need to get rid of the idea of a scary God. Now, I've been in the same room with Jesus, and I about peed my pants. I've had him appear in my bedroom as the Lion of Judah physically and come and put his big paw, bigger than, than a CD, on my back and pop me and wake me up. I know what the fear of the Lord 
feels like. What did that inspire in me? I got to feel that again. It didn't make me go, run! <laughs> now, I did, I did have one encounter where, where the Lord came, and he, he put his hand on my head, and he had, a, he had an eye on his hand, and it searched my soul. And for a while, I, I, in this encounter, I went, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, because my first reaction was religious. I was afraid of him. I was afraid that he was going to actually kill me in that moment because I didn't see him rightly. And if you don't see God rightly, you're worshiping a God with a different image than the actual God you worship. What is that called? Idolatry. If you don't see God right, you're worshiping a false image of God. This is why we must have the knowledge of God. This is why we must get to know him truly. And the only way you can do that is through intimacy. The only way you can get to know God is to get to know God. He isn't this elevated deity. He's an intimate partner. He's not distant off in the corner and and going, yeah, I'm going to snipe that kid later. He walks with you day after day, even if you ignore him. He's your friend in business, even if you don't tithe. can feel him in the room not liking that statement. He isn't rule-oriented. He's freedom-obsessed. So much so that Paul made this crazy statement that doesn't really make any sense when you read it at first. At least it didn't for me. I remember being a sophomore in high school and going, I, th- I think that's kind of an obvious statement, Paul. In Galatians 5.5, 5, he says, it's for freedom that Christ set us free. And you're like, it's for red that we painted things red. Like, what? Like, <laughs> redundancy all over the place until you realize that God can open up a, a door for you and you don't walk through it. It's so that you can be free that he set you free and gave you freedom. He's not rule-oriented. He's obsessed with your freedom. He's looking for so many ways to, to give that to you. Here's some friends in the scriptures of God. Everybody doing all right? I am. So good. God's friends in the scriptures, just a few of them. Adam, who went on walks with God, like some of you do. Enoch, who went from visitor to resident of heaven because of his friendship with God. Job, who God trusted to go through trials and then doubled what he had lost. Abraham, who changed God's mind. John, who snuggled with him at meals and adopted his mother after his death. Moses, 
whose molecular structure changed from constant contact with God. He started glowing. He started glowing. That's what happens when you hang out with light. You behold what you become. You become shakabara. You become what you behold. More touch. Here's some of God's friends now. Moms like Ashley Shuck, who take care of 3.5 kids all day long and have a vibrant revelatory gift, commune with God during nap time and when kids are climbing all over her, meet with people to pastor them when she has spare time that could be spent on herself but doesn't, and preaches up a storm four months or four weeks in a row. Friends of God now, Bob Stark, who serves our church body without nearly any honor, and is regularly tranced out in the back on the floor (laughs) during worship because he loves God so much that his body can't handle it. (laughs) Kelly White, who isn't even in the room right now because she's doing what I'm about to say, who works full-time, a full-time job, comes here and watches our kids while we get blasted by incredible teaching and incredible worship. That's a friend of God. Kat and York Blom, who are not here, they're probably doing their job right now, who followed the word of the Lord to start a coffee shop and have worn themselves out being faithful to build a place where so many of us have sat and gotten wrecked by God's presence and his love at Redefined Coffee House and Grapevine. Here's some other friends of God. You, who feel isolated and unseen, but know you are designed for greatness. You who have been faithfully in church for decades, voted for righteousness, feel convicted when you speed just one mile per hour over the speed limit, love ferociously, and no one knows it, but you do it because you just love Jesus that much. You who sacrifice sleep to spend just a little bit of time with God because of your schedule. You who love your wife like Jesus does, serving and supporting her dreams. You who have never done ministry occupationally, but tithe consistently anyway, supporting the ministry. You who never got the chance to go to seminary, but love the Bible and read it, even when you don't understand it, because you love his presence in the word of God. You who gave up your Thursday night to get a fresh touch from God. You're a friend of God. You have friendship with him. You've got a a very unique friendship with him too. It's too often we get in this thing. You ever met somebody? I'm going to pick on a a specific kind of Christian because I can and I've got the microphone. You can't stop me. (laughs) You can tell if somebody has been discipled by Lou Angle. Now, Lou doesn't require people to do this when they pray or call him God or whatever. Did you know that Lou Engel, it's actually a tick? It's like it, he doesn't do that because he's feeling the anointing. It's just like a physical tick. Anyways, <laughs> did you tell me that? I think that's so funny. You, you don't have to, your relationship with God doesn't have to look like Jeremy's, like mine, like Tracy's, 
like Bill Johnson's, like fill in the blank person that you idolize. Sorry, not idolize, look up to. But it, if the shoe fits. No person and no organization can tell you how to have a friendship with God. You have it your way. Whether you're at Burger King or not. Don't let anyone tell you how to enjoy God. Enjoy him your way. Don't let anybody tell you, oh, that you worship wrong. You can't worship wrong. You can worship more freely. You can worship more like yourself. But there's no wrong way to worship except for worshiping the wrong person. I want you to take a moment and I want you to just close your eyes. I want you to let let God highlight to you in your heart what he enjoys about your friendship with him. Don't edit what you hear. Holy Spirit, this week I ask that you would take everyone in this room into a deeper dimension of your friendship with them. Ask for the enjoyment of God that Nehemiah says is the the thing that strengthens us, the joy of the Lord. Give us enjoyment of God. Draw us into the place, that special place, whatever it is for each one of us, where we can enjoy you best and most fully. Thank you that you no longer call us servants and slaves, but you call us friends. Mark us in this family here at Storehouse as people who enjoy God and have friendship with him. In Jesus' name, amen.